They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them us, each of us hears them in our own native language, Parthian, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both, in Jew, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I want to talk this morning about the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you'll be open to that. After all, we are a Pentecostal church. Did you know that? But we are. Um, one of Elam's foundational truths says this. We believe in the deity of the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and the necessity of his work in conviction of sin, repentance, regeneration, and sanctification, and that the believer is also promised an endowment of power as the gift of Christ through the baptism in the Holy Spirit with signs following. Through this endowment, the believer is empowered for fuller participation in the ministry of the church, its worship, evangelism, and service. Now these foundational shows don't trip off the tongue easily, do they? But uh, they're important. When I was in my teens, I was on the Norwich Open Air Market. If you ever been to Norwich in front of the City Hall, there's a large, all year round open uh, market. And there was a man on this market running a stall of Christian books and pamphlets. Now, it was from a non Pentecostal church, this church. Uh, 
I later found out one of the non-Pentecostal churches who would die rather than be a Pentecostal church or in any way inclined to be. And I was looking through the books on the stall, being a very young man, I was a very young man, I didn't know much about uh, um, different churches or even the, uh, the, 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 the anti-Pentecostal bias that some of them have. And uh, the man looked at me and took interest and said, uh, can I ask you what church you go to? And I said, I go to the Elam Pentecostal Church. He immediately picked up a, a pamphlet on the creeds and gave it to me and said, you can have this for free because you really need to read it. He thought I needed some theology in my life. But there, there is no doubt that some Christians are a bit vague about the Holy Spirit. To be clear uh, this morning, before I talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, which is my main subject, I want to talk a little bit about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now you'll have noticed I just said the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an expression of God's actions, not a divine influence. Some of the key passages demonstrating that are found in John chapter 14, 16, and many others, but then the key passages, specifically John 14, 26, John 15, 26, and John 16, 7, to 15. Here the Holy Spirit is given in the Greek the uh, official title of paraclete or translated in, in some of our translations as advocate. The context unmistakably shows that the Holy Spirit is a person. The use of the personal pronoun he could scarcely describe an influence. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it talks about lying against or grieving the Holy Spirit. And you can scarcely lie against or grieve an influence of divine agent. It indicates clearly that the Holy Spirit is a personal being. If you want those scriptures, it's Acts 5.13 and Ephesians 4.13. But the Holy Spirit is also deity. All that is implied of God in the Old Testament is also implied of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, Old Testament scriptures that are in the Old Testament described by the speaker as being spoken by God are cited in the New Testament as having been spoken by the Spirit. In the New Testament baptismal formula, the Holy Spirit is put on equality with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. One theologian talks about the activity of the Holy Spirit in this way. The Holy Spirit carries out the purposes of God. In other words, whatever God purposes to do, he completes to the Spirit's 
agency. Whether that's revealing Christ to us, or opening the scriptures to us, empowering the church, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables all this. In fact, we can't even become Christians without the activity of the Holy Spirit. In John 3.8, Jesus talks about our being born of the Spirit. I love the way T.C. Hammond, uh, an Anglican theologian, um, describes the action of being born again. Let me read it to you. It is an act of God whereby a soul previously dead to him experiences a spiritual resurrection into a new sphere of life in which he is alive to God and united to him in Christ. God has implanted the newborn soul with a totally new principle of life. If a man be in Christ, he is a new order in creation. It is the new nature communicated by the Spirit of God. The work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth is totally transforming. John Newton, in the middle of a storm that was engulfing his ship, cried out to mercy from God, and there in the midst of that storm, something wonderful happened in his life. He was transformed, brought to life in Christ. And then he went on to write that wonderful hymn we all know so well, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. No wonder the Nicene Creed describes the Holy Spirit as the Lord, the life-giver, and that he is to us all. So a little bit about the Holy Spirit, but this morning I want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Now it's ironic, I think, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit divides the body of Christ so often, certainly in the past, more so, that it's so controversial when in the book of Acts the Holy Spirit came upon the church it, because the church was in a state of unity. We read repeatedly in Acts 1 and they were all in one accord. Bring up the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and many Christians get nervous and uncomfortable. Yet in the New Testament there was no nervousness about the Holy Spirit, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was assumed just to be part of the church and part of the believer's life. I'm going to pause there because I've got rhinitis and one of the problems I have in cold weather is uh, my nose runs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Robert Roxburgh, in The Right Ambition, tells of a question the famous uh, preacher, Martin Lloyd Jones, asked his congregation when he pastored the famous Westminster Chapel. And I want to quote from Roxburgh. He says, I want to share with your question by Martin Lloyd-Jones, 
He was certainly not known as a Pentecostal preacher. When he held the great pulpit at Westminster Chapel in London as the great preacher of Reformed theology, near the end of his life, and some said the very pinnacle of his ministry, he asked his congregation a question. He said, I want to talk to you today about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You may call it what you want, but I want to know, have you experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit? I know all of you listening to me come as I do from a reformed background, but it's not good enough. I know that all of you would say it in answer to my question about the Holy Spirit, but we got all the Holy Spirit at conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Well, said Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I have only one other question to ask. If you've got all the Holy Spirit conversion, where is it? Should have said, where is he? In the New Testament, disciples needed the power of the Holy Spirit to evangelize the world. Why would we need that power less today? Vance Hagner, a well-known preacher of the 20th century, declared, the church is hiding between tons of brick with a pre-Pentecostal experience. Pentecost is on the church calendar, but it's not the church's condition. That's our plight. Paul Rees, prominent missionary statesman of the pastoral, the Holy Spirit has already come at Pentecost nearly 2,000 years ago, but many of us have not accepted that fact or appropriated that fullness. The context, you'll note, of the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 verse 8, where Jesus said, uh, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The context of that is evangelism. He said, and you shall be witnesses unto me. <coughs> the Great Commission in Mark 16:15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. One writer says, they not only spoke with new tongues, they also spoke the word of God boldly. Our main form of communication is through words. It should not surprise us that the first of the living waters Jesus spoke of, do you remember when he said, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, and said this he said about the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't surprise us that the first of those rivers of living water should be through communication of words. Paul says it is through the foolishness of preaching that people will be saved. And then he says that with the mouth we confess and so are saved. The Holy Spirit anoints us to be witnesses. I want to say a bit more about that in a moment. But can I say that the Holy Spirit enables us to be successful witnesses because he is the convicting power of the gospel. In Acts 2.6, it indicates the sound of the Spirit's activity. The multitudes came together, it says. Certain events inevitably 
attracted attention. In Acts 2, as well as other New Testament uh, passages, Acts 3 and chapter 5, indicates that where the Spirit's power was manifest, there was action and reaction. In the early days of the 20th century, Pentecostal revival, Azusa Street and Topeka in Kansas saw an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that attracted people from all over the world. When the Spirit moves, there's a reaction, <coughs> conviction. In Luke's report concerning the result of Peter's sermon in Acts 2.37, he said that when the multitude heard the message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? The Greek here is very strong. It means Strong's uh, commentary on it says it means pierced, stung, smitten, to pierce thoroughly. The Holy Spirit, it's no doubt about it, can retreat the heart of a man or woman and bring conviction of sin. No doubt about that at all. I remember my first encounter with conviction of sin. I was just a, a really young man, about 11 years old, and I was in a meeting in a public hall, the Stewart Hall, the Inland Church was holding a special meeting. And I sat right on the back row, and the preacher preached a sermon. And then he gave an appeal, asked people to respond and give their lives to Christ. And suddenly, I mean, I, I, my mind wasn't even on the service or anything. Suddenly, God was right there, like he was standing right in front of me. I began perspiring, and I, 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 I'd been blessed as one of those people who never perspire. I could play football 90 minutes without a bead of sweat upon me. But uh, I was perspiring. I, I, I was frightened. The conviction of God came upon me in an awesome way. Oswald Chambers said, Conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man or woman. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict of sin. And when the Holy Spirit arouses the conscience and brings one into the presence of God, it is not our relationship with men that bothers us, but our relationship with God. In the Old Testament, a scribe called Ezra came under the conviction of God for his sin and the sin of the nation. In Ezra 9, 6, he said, he prayed, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and disgraced to lift up my face to you, my God, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached up to heaven. If you want something to pray for, pray today for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to come upon men and women wherever the Word of God is preached or witnessed. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives will bring conviction to those around us. This being filled with the Holy Spirit is what happened to New Testament Christians and many more since. 
people experience an outpouring of the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit. It happened first in Acts 2 that I read to you, then in Samaria in Acts 8, then Paul experienced it in Acts 9, then it happened in Cornelius' house in Acts 10, then to a group of uh, John the Baptist disciples in Acts 19. From New Testament writing, it's clear that the presence and power of the Holy Spirit was an everyday experience in people's lives. People not only received God's power to serve, but the power of the Holy Spirit to live for God. The promise of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is for us all. It says in Acts 2.39, for the promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away, everyone, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. When I was uh, 12 years old, I got a part-time job, just one half day on Saturday, working for an old lady. She asked me to sort out her garden. I accepted the job half a day a week, it was half a crown, a lot of money in those days to me. And uh, she then took me to her garden, and I realised immediately my mistake. It was so grown, I'm not exaggerating at all, I, I was only 12 mine, but the, the grass was higher than my head, literally. Then she took me to her garden shed and opened the creaking door, and inside was a rusty scythe and a rusty hand-pushed lawnmower. She said, these are your tools. Well, for the next few weeks I slaved half a day a week in that garden till blisters were on my hands and I hardly made any impression at all. Then one Saturday, her nephew turned up, a tall, big, muscular man, and he brought modern power tools. And he said, I've come to help you today. And wow, what a difference he made. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the one alongside to help. And through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God within. Now, I've never been to Niagara Falls. I've been in America twice, but I've never been to Niagara Falls. But I've read it's a wonder to behold. And writing about it, one commentator said this. When you live there, you not only appreciate the beauty of the falls, but you're also thankful for the power of the falls. You notice it every time you turn on the lights. Hydroelectric generators along the Niagara River produce electricity, not only for the city of Niagara Falls, but for much of western New York as well. That's a lot of power. The baptism of the Holy Spirit provides the believer with power to live and to serve God. In the New Testament, there are two different Greek words for power. One is exousia. We get our word exertion from that. Jesus, uh, sometimes it, it's used as authority, and Jesus used that in Matthew 10, 1, where he gave the 
of the disciples' authority to cast out demons. But there's another word, and that's dynamis, from which we get our word dynamite. And that's the word he uses in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Dynamis is a transforming, miraculous power. It, first of all, when we fill up the Holy Spirit, it transforms me and you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. I've underlined that. You will be. Notice this wasn't a command. It was simply a statement of fact. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses of me. The words shall be are in the indicative, not the imperative. Jesus wasn't recommending, when you get full of the Holy Spirit, I want you to be witnesses. He was saying, when the, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be, it'll be what you are. You will be witnesses for me. Now, I've attended many witnessing training programs down the years. In fact, I once went to Corby in Northamptonshire for a whole week to be trained, become a trainer in evangelism explosion, as it was called in those days. But the best training program for evangelism in the world is useless without the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we will be witnesses. When I was in Corby, uh, we went, were taking door knocking to put what we learned into practice. Our leader, we were in groups of three, our leader was a young man of 20. We were his trainees. We two that went with him were both experienced pastors. And the young man, old man was not only young, he was quite timid and shy. And I was thinking to myself, he's going to really struggle on the doorstep. And then the help when the first man at the door we knocked on, a man answered that he was quite anti and he was blinding us with science why he didn't believe in God. And I thought to myself, this is a waste of time. But that young man was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And he just gently began to talk about Jesus to that man. After 10 minutes, that man invited us into his home. After 20, I saw the convicting power of the Holy Spirit come upon that man, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. The words of the prophet came to mind, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm nearly finished. The most encouraging thing that happened to me after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit was about six weeks later, um, we were, went out on, a, uh, on an outreach and when we got back one of the uh, youth leadership team came up to me and said, David, these last six weeks, I want to say this, I've noticed a, such a difference in you and your words to people. And I thought, that's great, that's what I wanted. I wanted the power of the Holy Spirit to change me because I was a shy young man. And uh, he enabled me to uh, speak for him. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are witnesses. 
Jesus then said in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, you are a witness right where you are. You might think, I don't have many opportunities to talk to people about Jesus, but if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of the Holy Spirit will be a witness to people around you. Can I close with this? In Luke 11, Jesus is talking about prayer. And he speaks about our being serious in our desire to receive from God. Verse 9, And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus had just given an example there of urgency in the story of the, the visitor who arrives at midnight and so the man goes next door to his neighbour to ask for bread and the man's in bed and doesn't want to get up but he persists and he keeps knocking until eventually he gives him what he asks for. Jesus then talks about how we as parents know how to give good gifts to our children. Then he says this, and this is what changed my life when I was seeking to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. How much more how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? How deep is your desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we willing to seek the not to ask until we're empowered with the fullness of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to ask to come to the keyboard and just sing.